0: Lord, we ask you to come here in our midst, to be here with us. We thank you for your written word that we have so um, available to us. We have the freedom to gather like this, to to look into your word and to hear from you. We ask you to bless Brother Lorne, especially right now, as he has a message prepared to share with us. May you give him a clear voice. May you give him a clear mind to share what you have laid upon his heart. May it speak to us. May it feed us. May it strengthen us spiritually we can be faithful to you we pray this in jesus name amen you may be seated good morning and greetings to each one of you in jesus name this morning welcome to our time of worship together here and i hope that as we worship and look at the word of god together we can all blessed and challenged in our walk today. <coughs> the last number of weeks as I was thinking about a message for today and uh, thinking about a passage or a book that um, I could share with you today, my mind was drawn to the book of Jude. You know, this is a one reason I probably thought about it is, you know, we don't hear much from the book of Jude. It's a small little book. Um stuck in between Third John and Revelations, and it's, it's so short, we, I guess we just don't take the time um, to dig into it a lot. So for message today, I've chosen to look at this book and see what we can learn, see what we can apply to our lives today that Jude shared with the church in his day. So for my text this morning, I, I'll read the whole book of Jude. I'll start uh, reading verse 1 and read to verse 25. <clears throat> Jude 1 Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I give gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance Though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness, unto judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominions, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about <clears throat> the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally, as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, Trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, (coughs) raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars to whom it is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints, to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurs, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouths speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual having not the spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And some having compassion make a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh, and to him that is able to keep you from falling (coughs) and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. So going back to the beginning of the book here first of all I want to think about the context of this book (coughs) And see if that can help us understand um, the, the setting and, and the author and the audience of this book. So he starts out by introducing himself as Jude. And Jude is, is most likely referring to, to a Judas. And here it's, it's, you know, it's a little um, debated of who this Judas was. He, was. he identifies himself as a brother of James. So Jesus also had a brother, James, and so it's thought that maybe this Judas was a half-brother of Jesus also. He introduces himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting as we read the introductions and the, uh, to the many of the epistles, and as we read through the epistles, the apostles will often refer to, to themselves as servants of of Christ, which in that day also meant slave, and I don't know how many of you go to conferences or listen to webinars and things like that. Oftentimes, the person introduces themselves at the beginning, and, and many times they'll have a long list of accolades that they use to introduce themselves. But it's interesting to read the apostles as they introduce themselves. They don't introduce themselves <coughs> that way. They introduce themselves as servants and slaves oftentimes. And here Jude introduces himself as a brother of James when he likely could have introduced himself as a brother of Jesus. So I think one thing that we can learn from this is that the apostles were men of humility. They served in humility. They were true men of God and they served not to be served, but they were there to serve God and others. And that's where our faith oftentimes is really put to the test. That's where the battle of the Christian life can be the most intense is is that human desire to put ourselves first. And I think we can learn much from the apostles um, as we observe their lives and their writings. Next, let's consider the audience of this book. It doesn't seem to be a specific church or city that Jude was writing to. Sometimes, like the Apostle Paul, he would write to a specific city or church but Jude seems to give more of a general greeting here he writes to all who believe to those who are sanctified and I like the way he identifies his audience they are the ones who are sanctified by God they are preserved in Jesus Christ and they are called you know it's because of God's Plan that he put in place that we can be sanctified. And as we were studying that in our discipleship class this morning, how we can experience the plan of redemption. <coughs> you know, it's through Christ that we can experience being purified from our sinful nature. That we can stand pure and holy before God. And it's as we live in Jesus Christ that we are preserved. He calls the people here, those that are preserved, <coughs> in jesus christ and i think that's a beautiful picture you know as we live in christ god sees the perfection of christ it's not our own perfection but it's the perfection of jesus christ you know but as we step away from christ then we become corrupted and to start experiencing death and decay and i'd like to think you to think about um like a vegetable or a fruit for for a minute you know, if you, st- if you store a vegetable or a fruit in an ideal environment, that can, you know, be preserved for a long time. You know, it can be preserved and it can provide nourishment and food for someone from a long time from when it was harvested. But if you put it in a wrong environment, it will quickly spoil and decay. And we simply throw it out. And that's what Jesus can do for us. He can preserve us until eternal life as we live in him and then lastly he says to those who are called we aren't sanctified and preserved only to be living for ourselves god has a calling for us you know here jude uses the word called and he god has a calling for his people a call to build his kingdom here on the earth a call to be a representative and an ambassador, as the scripture tells us, for him. I like the example of John and Peter when they were in Jerusalem. In Acts 4.13 it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now here by the actions of Peter and John, Those who lived in Jerusalem, they could tell that these men had been with Jesus. The fruit of their lives showed that they had been with Christ. They were following the calling that God has for them. So now that we know the author, we know the audience, let's move on to the message of the book of Jude. Judging from uh, how short this book is and how quickly Jude gets to the point, he must have been a man of few words. <clears throat> but he expresses his desire and eagerness to write the letter to, to these believers. He, he was excited to write about this common salvation that binds all of us together, salvation in Jesus Christ. But as he was thinking and, and desiring to write this, he also had another pressing topic on his mind. And that was that he wanted them to contend for the faith. <clears throat> let's think about that word contend for a moment he calls them to contend for the faith contend get, contend gives us the idea of defending something to struggle over something to agonize over something and not only does Jude urge them to contend for the faith he says earnestly contend for the faith so it, it seems like he's agon- adding a double emphasis to this he's really um, wanting them to get the picture that they need to be paying attention to this defending the faith. As I was thinking about this, my mind was drawn to Ephesians 6 where the Apostle Paul also talks about the battle that we're engaged in in the faith. And he he gives us a few good points there. He talks about um, identifying who we are in battle against. He tells us we are not battling against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers in the darkness of this world. (coughs) We're not using physical weapons in battle, but we're using spiritual tools. There's not physical weapons, but spiritual weapons. So it's important that we identify what we are um, contending for, who the enemy is and what we're fighting against it's not against our fellow humans and our fellow man but it's against the darkness that so often so often the battle is is within our own lives the darkness that wants to come and, and take over our hearts and minds and if we don't pay attention and to put into action what jude is calling the believers here to we will quickly succumb to the false teachers that he expounds on in the the next few verses. As we think about contending, as I mentioned, we need to identify what we are fighting against and what we are fighting for. And he urges them to contend for the faith. As we dig into the last part of the verse here, verse 3 says, This faith was once delivered, and... He uses the word there, once, but I liked quite a few of the other translation. It says once and for all. And there's a finality to this faith. You know, Jesus came and he was the final revelation delivered to the saints, to God's holy people. And we talked about that in our class this morning, how... <clears throat> Jesus was what the Old Testament looked forward to, and now we look back on. Jesus has come to, um, he has come to complete the work of salvation, and he has come to complete the restoration of man's relationship with God, which will be fully made perfect in eternity. You know, for many years, um, God talked through the prophets. He, he used the the nation of Israel. He used the law to remind people of their need of a savior and a messiah and now jesus has come and he has delivered that um, true faith and we must believe in jesus to be saved hebrews 1 1 talks um, about how god revealed himself in many ways but now we have been sent the perfect revelation of jesus christ this is what jesus is talking about here the once and for all this true faith was delivered to the saints. This treasure has been delivered to God's holy people. <coughs> Excuse me. Jude is now urging the saints to guard that treasure, to guard the purity of the gospel, so that the message of God is not tainted and that others would be led away from this message. And Jude's message is still relevant today many will deny the message of the true gospel, of the true faith, either by their words or their actions. Denying the message of faith in Jesus Christ and turning to another message is, happens so often. And then moving on into verse 4, as he was encouraging the believers to, to contend for the faith, he, he dives into it a little further. And he tells them how um, there are men in the church who are not engaged in the teaching of the true faith they're living and teaching in a way that distorts the message of the gospel and I think we're well aware that this unfortunately is still um, relevant today it's not a message that was unique to the church in Jude's time only but it, it still continues today <clears throat> and Jude need, um, needs to call attention this due to a few factors, he says these teachers have crept in unaware. They had crept in quietly under the radar. They were, as Jesus said in Matthew, they were wolves in sheep's clothing. You know these false teachers may have seen may have seemed very kind and considerate and humble people. <clears throat> you know as we think about a sheep, um, they're not an animal that's considered to be very threatening but instead they're you know a a mild tempered animal most times you know we have we have a few sheep at the farm and we don't consider them something that's threatening i mean you have to keep your eye on the ram maybe just to make sure that he doesn't get aggressive or something but for the most part sheep are considered a quiet meek animal so when jesus talks about this in matthew 7 He's telling us that false teachers will oftentimes seem very non-threatening. He, he spoke these words as he was closing out the Sermon of the Mount. And he was well aware that there was going to be people who would come after him that would deny the message he had just delivered <coughs> deliver to them. You know, we see how that has happened. That Jesus was, um, definitely knew what he was talking about when he said that. People have tried to deny that the Sermon of the Mount is relevant for Christians today. Secondly, not only had these men crept in quietly, but people in the church were, were unaware of what was happening. You know that that is you know the false teaching is often most damaging is is that that comes from within the church. You know we can be focused on what the outward pressures are. But oftentimes, the teaching that is most damaging can be coming from within the church. As I was thinking about this, I'm sure some of you are aware of the some of the latest technology um, called AI. And recently, I've come across some pictures that were AI-generated photos. And the only way you knew that was that somebody had told you that it was AI-generated. Otherwise, it looked very real. They blended in with other pictures, um, and they looked authentic. And that's how it can seem with false teachers. It can look very authentic until you really start to scrutinize and look at the small details that make it a fake. Many false teachers are successful in their teacher teachings because they use scripture to support their teaching. The false doctrine is mixed with truth. But we need to be like the Bereans in Acts 17 who, when they heard Paul preaching, you know, we look at Paul as a true apostle, but yet even as they listened to his preaching, they went to the word and made sure that it was truth. So we need to be um, digging into the word of God and, and making sure that the teaching that we um, listen to is according to the word of God. And so then briefly, he gives us a few characteristics of false teachers. And the number one is, is they reject authority. And we see that in verse 8 and 11. know, yeah, that's, that's something that we're very familiar with. This country was built on the rejection of authority. And so we're surrounded by it, and we can become very susceptible to that because we are constantly re- surrounded by the idea of being independent and rejecting authority but this is a sign of a false teacher someone who rejects authority this is where the values of the kingdom of god and the kingdom of this world again separate (coughs) the kingdom of god teaches us to honor authority and all of us in some way are under authority even from the youngest to the oldest of us there is some form of authority over us and God's kingdom calls us to respect that. Next, they corrupt themselves. They defile the flesh, and that's also in verse 8 and verse 10. Now, God has built within us a, um, a passion, a desire to serve something, um, to, to serve something bigger than ourselves. But oftentimes that can be, we do direct that to, towards ourselves. That was God created us with that passion to serve him, to build his kingdom and to bring honor and glory to his name. But man becomes a God to himself, and he starts to des- serve his own desires and interests, <coughs> indulging in things that would otherwise be good to the excess, and defiling ourselves in, in the process. He also despised heavenly beings as we see in verse. Verse eight, and then Jude gives us the example of Michael, an angel who would not even slander the devil. But he s- he points out that these false teachers will will do what even an angel will not. And they despise heavenly beings. They lack humility. They speak evil and slander. They speak evil of things that they don't understand. <coughs> and one good good way I think we can we can tell if, if someone is a false teacher are they preaching Christ in the gospel or do they speak disdainfully of those who they disagree with um, I think is a good way to discern a false teacher the words that we speak testifies what's in our heart and then he uses three men from the Old Testament um, as examples of <coughs> how these false teachers um, act and the first one he uses is Cain And sometimes we can look at the example of Cain and we puzzle over what what really went wrong um, in the instance of Cain. But I think it's maybe even more than the sacrifice that he offered was his response to God's reproof. When God reproved Cain, what was his response? It said he became wroth. And I get the idea from wrath as someone who was very angry he did not accept God's reproof but instead he went his own way he wanted to go his own way and he became bitter and ended up murdering his brother he blamed his shortcomings on his brother and he took out his anger on his brother so there's in a false teacher there's an insistence on doing it their way (coughs) Next is he points out how they run after wealth, and he uses the example of Balaam. Here was an example of a sheep and a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, if we look at the example of Balaam, he seems to to try and and make it appear like he was following God. But in, underneath, he was still doing what he wanted to do and seeking after fame and fortune and it's, it's here in Jude that Jude really identifies what was leading um, Balaam, and that was wealth. Balaam didn't come out um, and curse the Israelites outright for Balak. But he taught Balak how to cause them to fall. He taught Balak how to put a stumbling block in the way of Israelites and cause them to fall into sin. <coughs> but in the end, This caused Balaam's downfall when he was killed in a battle um, with the Israelites. And many in our day are following the way of Balaam. They are following after greed and and fame and fortune. Many famous Bible teachers and well-known pastors are using the gospel to enrich themselves. Many accumulating net worth in the millions of dollars and sometimes tens of millions of dollars and sadly um, the global church raises 890 billion dollars a year but 53 billion dollars of that will be stolen by church staff so that's a very unfortunate thing that is happening within the church is running after greed as Balaam did many follow the error of Balaam and are allow the lure of financial gain to come before the preservation of the true faith in Jesus Christ. And then we have the example of Korah as he opposed um, Moses. Here again we have the thought of opposing authority and going against God's plan. False teachers will reject authority and and desire to be in control themselves. Jude reminds us of Korah and how he opposed Moses and Aaron. And there's one thing that these three men all have in common, and it's that they chose to go. They reason, in their own minds, was the best way to go. They chose to ignore God's way. They were short-sighted and only looking for the gratification in the moment. So, you know, this can paint a pretty bleak picture, maybe, of, of what he brings out here of false teachers. And for a time, it may seem like false teachers are prospering, but in time, God will judge those who use his words to justify man's sinfulness. And there's, um, it's kind of split up, but if we look at verses 5 through 7, and then we look at verses 14 to 15, God talks about a coming time of judgment. You know, God is the fair and perfect judge. You know, in this life, we often wish we could have true justice. The cry is that we could have justice and true justice. But in our human um, minds, our justice systems are run by humans and we can't understand all the nuances and small details of each situation. So we do the best we can. But with God, that's not the case. He does see and understand all the small details down to the very thoughts and motives in our hearts. And he is not swayed by um favoritism or anything like that and that's what jude points out in verses five through seven he talks about the israelites he says you know they were god delivered them from egypt and yet as they fell into unbelief he did not preserve them simply because of the promises he had made to god god had made to abraham isaac and jacob they still needed to believe in god themselves it was because of their choices that they were judged. Their lineages, the promises that had come before did not preserve them. It's not who you once were that will, that will save you, but it is your faith now in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and he also um, shows us the same thing with the angels who were in heaven, but then fell away. They also were not saved because of who they once were, but it was because of their rebellion um, that God judged them. And then we also have Sodom and Gomorrah <coughs> who are also an example of, of, of people who chose to live for themselves and the gratification in the moment who were judged. They failed to heed God's um, plan and call in their lives. You know, we live in a time that we call the age of grace. But we also live in, a ta- in an age in a time where God has given us so much. You know, we look at these examples of people who, who erred, who fell away, and um, faced judgment. But God has given us <coughs> these examples for us to learn from. We can look back on these examples and learn. <coughs> and we also have scripture, the Apostle Peter says that this Word is a more sure word of prophecy than that of the prophets. So in this time of grace, we also carry a great responsibility as we see in Hebrews 2, 3 to 4. But now I want to look at the ending of the book of Jude. You know, that can be kind of a a dark part of Jude to look at, but I want to look at the end as we wrap up here today. And in verse 17, he uses the word, but beloved. It's like this... In the midst of this setting, Jude now shares the encouragement for the believers. He had just dedicated a good portion of this uh, book to calling the believers to pay attention to false teachers <coughs> and the fruits that resulted from that. And he reminds them how the Apostle Paul had told them that this was going to come. You know, God was uh, wants us to be aware of these things, but what he really desires for us is to focus on the building of a life and faithfulness. <coughs> Excuse me. And we see that in, uh, in, in verse 20. He says. But ye beloved. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. So we need to build our lives on, on this faith. On this true faith that he calls us to contend for in, in the beginning of the book. We need to build on that faith. It says, praying in the Holy Ghost through the aid of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can, (coughs) excuse me, direct our lives. He can help us to be discerning and wise. You know, the false teacher will lead you astray, but the Holy Spirit will not. And then we need to stay in the love of God. We see that in verse 21. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God. The love of God will protect us. The love of God will keep us, and the love of God will sustain us as we allow God to work in our hearts. You know, as we look at the previous verses, you know, it could <coughs> could cause us to um, to maybe be fearful. I think that's something that pretty much all of us deal with. Is we have some something that we fear. It's probably different for most of us, but we fear loss, you know, loss of many things. Um, You know, we're afraid of what others may do. We maybe we're afraid of the the, what false teachers will do this morning. I want to encourage you to not let that drag you down. Don't let fear override the love of God. Don't let fear override your faith. And what I want to leave with you this morning is found in verse 24. Verse 24, um, <coughs> excuse me, which is a verse that Ken brought up in our discipleship class this morning. It's such a beautiful verse. <coughs> it says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. <coughs> that is truly a, um, a great um, promise for us. Despite anything that may come our way, no matter what happens, you know, no matter how prevalent the false teachers, as we build on our holy faith, (coughs) excuse me, through the aid of the Holy Spirit, we can one day stand before God faultless because of Jesus Christ, because he can keep us from falling. (coughs) Excuse me. You know, this was the mission that Jesus came to earth to fulfill. This is why he suffered in agony on the cross so that one day each one of us here today, not only us here today, but all of mankind would have the opportunity to one day stand before God, blameless. So just a few thoughts in closing, you know, contend for the true faith that Jesus has delivered to us, rest in and build on that holy faith with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And as you do that, your Savior, Jesus Christ, will keep you and present you (coughs) to the Father in Heaven, no longer broken and sinful, but renewed and blameless in Christ. With these thoughts, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. (coughs) Our eternal Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you that you have granted us these promises that as we build on true faith in you, that one day we can be in your presence and glory, presented blameless because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, because of his shed blood, (coughs) as we accept the gift of salvation in our lives. And I just pray that this morning that you would help us to contend for that true faith, help us to not stray from your presence, but that we would allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and keep us.